Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. So about year 10, I just like, what am I doing wrong? And so I went out and I talked to some guys that I know across the country that have done amazing jobs with their programs and even guys locally. And I just kind of said, how do you guys do this? And the theme that kept coming back was kids first, winning second. On this week's episode of Champions, we talk with the head coach of Oregon, 6A state champion and the number one ranked team in Oregon, Steve Pine. His Central Catholic Rams just completed a 13-0 season in winning the title, which is Coach Pine's fifth at Central Catholic. Coach Pine has been at the helm of Central Catholic since 2003 and has compiled a 196-54 record, which is a 7-8-4 winning percentage. Coach has been honored as the Mount Hood Conference Coach of the Year six times, Oregonian State, Oregonian State Coach of the Year two times, and OACA Coach of the Year five times. In this episode, he discusses how taking a different approach to certain areas of what they do, including building their culture, developing fundamentals, and determining playing time and depth made a difference in propelling them to multiple state championships. There are plenty of takeaways in this one, and we will share our top three in our Winning Edge takeaways at the end of the episode. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, 
premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Rays has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalrays.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. On this week's Champion Series, we're going to give you three keys to developing a championship program. And joining me to do that is the head football coach at Central Catholic High School in Oregon, Steve Pine. Steve, it's great to have you here. Oh, I appreciate you having me on. This is exciting for me. Well, Steve, definitely a track record of success. This is your fifth state championship here in 2023. And as I mentioned, we're going to focus on really what you think are some keys here to developing a winning program. And the first thing starts with what you call first things first. So for you guys, what is first things first? First things first is for us a way to get a ton of reps on basic skills, such as, you know, coming to balance, driving a drive blocking with your feet, you know, wide apart and short steps and hitting on the rise and then angle tackle, picking up people on an angle on a block. So what we do is we partner up every kid in our program all at the same time. And we just give them these commands and all of our coaches are, are walking around the field, coaching up kids during this time. And what we found over the last couple of years is that we're getting a mass amount of reps in basic football positions basic football skills and what we've seen is those repetitions translating onto our game film and so it's been a huge difference for us Uh, we sold the idea it wasn't an original idea but it's made a big difference for us and our kids you know they know what the routine is and they get good at those things over the course of the season i think it's a tremendous idea i've seen that here in ohio and i was mentioning to you before this in in, uh, spring, this is pre-pandemic, four, five, six years ago. I can't remember exactly when. I did a little spring ball tour here and going to a number of different programs. And I I saw everybody starting with this drill where they were in a, a good football position. It wasn't necessarily a high contact drill, but it was a competitive drill. And I kept seeing it. And by the third time I said, hey, I've seen this three times now. Where's this coming from? And then, you know, a a team I was seeing later in the spring is Ohio State. So I dug into it there. And it was exactly that idea that, hey, we're going to start with something, some key positions. They called it the difference. Anthony Schlegel, who's been on the podcast, and I'll I'll link the episode, developed a piece of equipment out of it called the difference, you know, that you could use in your weight room. Mm -hmm. But the whole key is exactly what you're saying is we're going to get our players to start to really feel that technique every single day for a ton of reps and those reps are going to accumulate over the season. And as you said, you see it pay off on film. Yeah. And and the benefit for us is it's the time is minuscule. I mean, it's like four minutes and we've gotten through 25 or 30 reps of of different skills uh, that you see on the field on Friday night. So, and it sets a mind frame for the kids for practice too. Right. And then you can go back to that. Like, Hey man, first things first, remember to sink your hips, bring your, come to balance, you know, head behind, you know, wrap and drive, whatever the case might be. So it's been a big benefit for us for sure. And I'm, I'm sure it standardizes the language between your coaches too. So really any coach can teach those key fundamentals. A hundred percent, right? You're all talking the same language. You're walking the same walk. And uh, kids know that they're going to be held accountable in those skill sets for sure. And I'm sure this goes down to your youngest guys in the program, you know, at the freshman level. Absolutely. Like I said, the whole program does it every day, you know, so they're getting at least three days a week where they're doing these basic fundamentals of, of football and being in a football position. 
you know, that's, it's been really beneficial. So, so let me ask you, when you guys decided you were going to install this, how did you install it with the coaches to get that common language and to get that common teaching progression you guys were going to have? Well, like I said, we, we stole it from another coach in the area and we have a coach on our staff who brought the idea to me and he's like, these are the things that we did. How do we want to kind of organize how we're going to call them? And so we went through each skill set and said, all right, hey, we're going to go right foot, right balance, or right foot, right leverage. So they're coming in with their right foot up and they're leveraging the right side. And then the other guy goes, and then we went left foot, left foot, left leverage. And then we go right foot, drive for five. So they got to drive drive block for five and so on and so forth. So we went down the, the list of those things and uh, just came up with a common language for, for each one and what were the coaching points on those things as well. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective. So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www.teammofo.com demo and mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. So moving to those fundamentals and thinking about player development a little bit more, do you have a number that you really looked at? It's not necessarily a hard set number because games can vary with running clock and things like that. But 60 plays, and you guys strive you know, to, to limit guys to 60 plays because, for one, guys get gassed, and you want them over the course, especially like you guys play a long season. Uh, but two, when, when somebody's getting you know, 120 reps, that means they're taking 60 of those reps from somebody else. So talk to us about that concept and, and what it does for you. Yeah, so again, this is back in about 2011. Uh, we just weren't, I mean, we were competitive, but we weren't getting over that last hump to the semifinals or the finals. And, and we really started looking at the how many guys were playing and, and what practice looked like. Was it very competitive? And so, and just kind of thinking it through, we said, all right, we're going to start 22 guys if we can, if, if our roster allows it. And then what we want to be able to do is allow kids to play both ways, but can we limit their reps to about 60 to 65 reps on a Friday night? That allows kids to be more competitive in practice because they know that they're going to, you know, have an opportunity to get on the field because, you know, Bobby isn't playing every snap at wide receiver and every snap at free safety on a Friday night. It eliminates, doesn't eliminate, but it, it curtails the amount of abuse on a kid's body over the course of the season. And over the last 10, 11 years, we've been very healthy going into the, the playoffs. And I think there's been a huge benefit of that. And we track those plays every week as a coaching staff. And if a kid starts creeping into that 70 number, that's where you got to look at and go, okay, do we have some other injuries going on or were kids missing for various reasons? If not, why? Right. I, that's the question that I always pose to my 
staff is like, why is that kid playing 70 or 75 plays? What was the situation? Right. And if they don't have a legitimate answer for that, well, he's just better. Well, wait a second. We all decided that this is why we're going to go about this. So we got to put the other kid in there so he can develop. And when we really need that stud in the semifinals and the finals, he's healthy. It's been a very good tool for us over the last 10, 11 years. And uh, like I said, we've been healthy at the right time of the season. And we feel like we get more depth out of it for sure. I've seen people do this and I I wish I had seen it earlier in my career. It it really helped me rethink when guys play and how guys play in a game. And, And it was from watching, you know, one of, well, I mean, still the best in the OAC Mountain Union, but Larry Karras was the head coach at the time. And, you know, Larry would play two quarterbacks in that second quarterback. He'd get that guy in the game consistently. And if that guy, it seemed to be, if I remember right, first series of the second quarter, I, I believe, or something like that. But he definitely had a designated mm-hmm. time in watching film. And it didn't matter where they were, that that guy would get in the game. So it you know, it takes discipline because it's an easy thing to do to say, ah, well, yeah, I know it's your time right now, but geez, they're, they're about to score or geez, we're backed up or yeah. this is yep. a really critical situation in the game. And then all of a sudden everything with that falls apart. Yeah. I mean, you have to be true to your word, right? So if you're, if you're setting up the system that says, Hey, we're going to have this rotation of kids going in the game and it's first and goal on the nine yard line and the game is tight and you the second string DB was supposed to go in and you're like, Oh no, wait a second. You're sending that kid a message that you don't trust him. Number one, number two, in my opinion, that kid doesn't have a chance to succeed or fail in that situation. And then when you need him in that situation, eight weeks later, cause your starters down, what's entering his mind. Well, coach doesn't trust me, even though it's eight weeks later. I mean, their kids are like, dogs as well right they remember things (laughs) you know and that's going to be right in this forefront and instead of playing loose and free and confident probably playing tight and worried about making a mistake and that that's not what you want your kids to be doing at that time yeah it it definitely affects the culture of what's happening on the field and as you you said to me before we got going it's also that opportunity to teach and coach that kid that you are giving him that opportunity and you want him to succeed, but maybe everything didn't go right or maybe there were some little mistakes along the way that didn't cost him. It's now that opportunity to teach that kid from the competitive situation. Yeah, I think it's vital to growing depth in a program. If kids know that they've got a chance to get on the field and be in the rotation, they're more attentive at practice. They are you know, working harder because they know that there's a reward at the end of that thing. And, and like we tell our kids, you need to force us to play you just because you show up to practice every day. doesn't mean you get to play. You got to force us to play you. And you, if you force us to play you and we have six DBs that can play, we'll play six. Now for us, from a coaching perspective is we've got now nine weeks of a regular season of uh, a body of work. And we get into the playoffs when things get a little tighter, we can say, Hey, look, we've given you these opportunities this is your production level compared to the guys in front of you. Your plays in the playoffs are probably going to be limited. And we have those conversations with our kids. Our whole offensive staff or defensive staff is in the, in the room with the kid, you know, propping them up saying you've done a great job. However, based on your performance, when we get in the playoffs, you're probably going to see a reduction in your reps. 
And that's the reality. Conversely, if a kid is like, hey, you've been doing a great job, we're going to stay with the same rotation. I mean, that makes sense not to if you've been productive with it. And you gave a lot of the rationale and the reasons with this, but anytime we implement something new, there's always, I don't know if I call them naysayers, but maybe guys who aren't as optimistic about how this is going to work, right? It's a little bit of a hard sell at times for coaches. Uh, what was that like for you? What things did you face there and how did you overcome that? Well, I think it was, you know, when you bring a new idea that is not conventional to people, doesn't matter the job or, or whatever, you know, there's going to be pushback. And, and so it took a lot of convincing on my part to really lay it out to our coaches about this rotational approach and how do we evaluate kids and how do we be transparent with them and allow them to be on the field if they've earned to be on the field. It's hard, especially because we're all competitive and we get to those moments where even I've done it. Like this happened in the state championship game. My old line coach said, hey, I'm putting this kid in. And I looked at him. I'm like, are you kidding me? And he goes, coach, he's fine. And I was like, okay, he's in this rotation. I've got to let him do it, right? He's confident. He coaches him every day. And so given those coaches the autonomy to build that depth uh, within their own position groups, I think was a critical piece to where I supported, you know, it was my idea. I'm not going to come over to you and like, Hey, why isn't he in the game at this point in time? I'd be more like, Hey, how's the rotation going? Are the kids getting in? Because from a head coaching perspective, it limits the number of phone calls that I'm getting on the weekend or the emails I'm getting over the weekend about playing time. Right. We've given this them opportunities to play and show. So it took a while, but once after about two years, like I said, we started this in 2011. After about two years, it was never an issue again. My guys, even the new guys come in, and now you have your veteran guys that are like, hey, man, this works. Just trust it. Trust it, and you'll see that it works. And it, so far, so good. Knock on wood, it's worked. Yeah, I think there's a number of approaches to this. I love that you know you do look at that number of what they can handle. It's something we did. I know, especially when you're looking at guys who do a lot of running on the field, the guys playing out on the edges, whether that's the corners mm -hmm. or the receivers. I mean, even our best guys, we knew they had a limit. And our receivers coach is really good at saying, you know, at, at this number, he's topped out. And he'd pay attention to it during the game. He'd have, you know, assistant receiver coach or student assistant charting that stuff. So he knew, like, hey, if I've got 60 reps with this guy, and I spend 35 of them in the first half, you know, he's going to be drained here by the time it comes around to the fourth quarter. And, you know, yeah. so it's just being smart with those guys. And I, I see that all the way up to the highest level. You wonder at times, you know, you're watching your favorite teams, like, why is this guy on the sideline? But you think about this. Right. I mean, this game, is, you know, and especially if you're looking at the long haul, it is a war of attrition, right? And you have to be really monitoring that that player load. There's a lot of ways to do it, but you know, having something in place that does get that rotation. I know we always looked at it on the offensive side, the way I was able to control it as a coordinator is I like to use a lot of personnel groups and really fit skill sets into, you know, what do we need from the different guys in this package? Let's be really clear about what we're running and what does this guy need to do? Because maybe we can slot somebody else in here. And we'd always tell those guys like you're a starter. You know, you're, you are first team in this package. You might be third on the depth chart, but you work right. really well in this. You're, you're a starter, and it was something they really bought into, and it really felt like our 
depth chart was not as vertical as it was before it was horizontal because we had all these guys I mean I think the one year by the the last game we played nine personnel groups in that game and everybody was going in and had their role and did their job and and you know I told them all the time like your goal is with your your guys on this unit make it the best unit we have so you guys stay on the field more right so it had that competitive as well yeah that makes a ton of sense to me and you know having gone through the ups and downs of this philosophy but like you said, you're a starter in this unit, you know, and make it the best you can. And that kind of happened to us in the in the state championship game this year. Our tight end went down late in the game, and it was still in question. And now all of a sudden I got my second tight end, who's my starting outside linebacker, who had, you know, a half a dozen reps on the season probably, you know, get live game reps. And then the third tight end had to slide in because we were in a double tight end package. And they just, you know, they went in and executed, right? Because they done it in practice and they were fresh because they weren't playing 120 plays mm-hmm. and uh like i said they they took pride in that stuff so that's that's cool because the third key point you brought up in this is that there's minimum expectations but those are high and that's something mm-hmm. really that you use to build that culture in your program yeah yeah i mean for us i, I tell our kids all the time the standard is to meet minimum expectations that means that you're being a good person I have a phrase that I don't know if you'll bleep this or not, but I, I always tell the kids like be an asset, not an asshole <laughs> and, and everything that you do. So you're, you're being a good kid in the classroom and in the hallways and in the community, you know, if the standard is that you're the minimum expectation is that you're to be on time to practice or meetings. And if something comes up that you're not, you're communicating that, not your parents, not, there's no messengers, not your buddy you are responsible for you, right? And that's a minimum expectation. Effort in our program is a minimum expectation. You are expected to be giving 100% in any drill that you're doing. And if you're not, you're going to get called on it because you're not meeting minimum expectations. And those are, you know, I think it's when you want to build a championship level program, those expectations, like you said, need to be high and they need to be communicated and they need to be followed through on, right? I'm not talking about punishment because you were late and you didn't communicate. How do I get you to understand how important it is that you're valuable to this organization or this program? And by you being late, you jeopardize the 65 other guys that are in this program right now on the varsity team or the JV team or whatever that had you just communicated, had you simply just communicated, now I can have your back, right? Now I don't have to discipline you because you've disciplined yourself. You know, those are the kinds of things throughout our program we're trying to get our kids to do. And it's a, you know, it's an ongoing process and some come to it a lot sooner than others. And the hope is that 15, 20 years from now, that young man who's now a father or a husband or uh, you know, dad, you know, whatever community member is going back and going, you know what, I'm going to meet minimum expectations. And if I do that, my life's going to be pretty good. And the mm-hmm. people around me are going to know they're loved and taken care of. Yeah. That's really the goal. Yeah. Great, great lessons from that, obviously. And looking and continuing on this conversation with culture, you know, you mentioned it to me before we got going, it was a little bit of a shift for you that, you clearly delineated that the priority is number one, kids, and number two, win. We'd love to hear you share that with our listeners. 
Yeah. So when I got here in 2003, uh, you know, the program was solid. Um, the guy that left before me had done a good job of kind of raising the bar here. And so, and I'd known him for a long time. So my ego was getting in the way. I was like, well, I'm going to prove that I'm a better coach than this guy and I can build a better program. And, and it was just about win, 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 win. And we had some very talented kids in those first 10 years and, and we kept running up against it. We'd get beat in the quarterfinals against a team that wasn't as talented as we were or whatever the case might be. And so about year 10, I just like, what am I doing wrong? And so I went out and I talked to some guys that I know across the country that have done amazing jobs with their programs and even guys locally. And I just kind of said, how do you guys do this? And the theme that kept coming back was kids first, winning second. And that just struck me, right? When we put winning second, we put kids first all the other things will fall in line, right? Because the kids, you know, the old adage, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think personally, I was missing that. I, it's not that I was, you know, not creating relationships with kids, but there wasn't a depth to it, right? And and I think that putting that on the forefront of just developing relationships and learning what kids, you know, what are their needs and how do I, help support my staff and supporting the kids uh, with those needs, whether it's academic or uh, a relationship with a girlfriend or uh, at home or whatever. Once we started doing that, things started really turning for us. Uh, we made the semifinals in 2011, you know, got bumped in the quarters in 20, uh, 2012. And then all of a sudden from 2013 on, on you know, we've been in the state championship game six times and won five of them. And I think there's a direct correlation between putting winning second and putting kids first. We don't even talk about winning championships around here. You know, we it's a given that that's the goal. We're not going to harp on it. We're going to harp on fundamentals. We're going to harp on how you treat people, uh, how, how to be an asset and meet those minimum expectations. And then so far, so good. It's, it's worked for us. I know you mentioned to me, too, that in, in building a culture that you wanted to reach beyond those kids, you certainly want the staff to have a culture. You want the community, you know, that, that growing that circle bigger, right, and having a positive effect with all of them in the way that you build culture. Talk to us about how you do that. Well, I think with as far as our staff is concerned, I mean, it's it's trying to meet guys where they are, try to help them grow within their professional goals, whether they want to be a coordinator or a, a head coach or whatever the case might be, what can I do to help bring those guys along and help them understand that this is, you know, something that is earned over time, right? This is not just given to anybody. It wasn't just given to, to me. So what are those steps? What are the things that you don't know that you need to know if you want to be a coordinator or a head coach? You know, and the other thing we do to build is like we do some staff stuff in the off seasons. Like we'll go you know, last this last year we went axe throwing and we went bowling and we go golf and then you know if you can make it make it you know kind of thing. And those have been good times where you just to see your colleagues in a different light, right? So those build relationships and, and depth in those relationships with the community or in the parents and stuff. We involve them in a lot of pieces of our program like most do right they do our pregame meal they're doing our postgame meal they're doing the chain crew they're you know supporting us in all the ways that they can and when you show genuine love for their kids and genuine concern for their kids 
they're going to want to jump in because this is a partnership in my view. We're trying to partner with the parents to build great young people that will go out and serve their communities. That's what I, when I talk about culture, that's what it looks like to me. It's not about a, a sign in the locker room, even though we have signs in the locker room. It's, you know, it's about how do you treat people every single day? How do you get along with that guy that you've been battling for, you know, the last three months in practice and you can't stand him because he always whips your butt. How do you get past that and understand who he is as a person and what makes him tick as a person? That's what's cool. When you develop that culture, you see it within your program. You know, we do a thing at the end of practice every day that I think builds culture. I think our kids think it's stupid, but we go a three, two, one at the end. So after we break, they got to get three handshakes, two hugs, and they got to give one compliment to everybody to the, at least one person, right? So it's just, just another opportunity to connect and, and just recognize effort. Yeah. Well, they, they might think it's a little goofy right now, but I'm sure at some point they're going to look back and they'll appreciate that. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> well, Coach, I really appreciate you sharing those ideas with us here. I'm sure that's going to help some coaches out there make their programs better. And we really appreciate your time and, and certainly best of luck to you and the Rams in 2024. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on. Here are our winning edge takeaways and ideas for implementation. One, focus on the development of key fundamentals and standardize the language and teaching progressions across your program. The way in which they coach blocking and tackling every single day and accumulate those reps over the course of the year ingrains those fundamentals. That doesn't have to wait until the season. There are postures and movement patterns that can be the foundation of the full progression that can be implemented now in the off-season training programs. Like Coach Pine and his staff, sit down, identify them, and put together your method and language for coaching it. As Coach mentioned, the payoff will be there when you see it on the game film. Two, play more players. It's actually a simple concept for strengthening your culture because that's what everyone in your program wants, a chance to contribute. Yes, it has to be earned, but you can be creative about giving them opportunities to earn time and learn from it. The key to making that work is the discipline of your staff in sticking to that plan. You can implement this within your own position group as well. And three, it's an old saying from Woody Hayes, which has always been in the front of my staff manual as a head coach and my offensive playbook when I was a coordinator. And it's the phrase, you win with people. The big shift for Coach Pine and his program, the winning state championships, was the shift in making winning second and the kids first. As he pointed out, it's a formula he found consistently across the programs of all the coaches he went to to get help in figuring out how he could bring his team to the pinnacle of winning state championships. We are excited to bring you our champion series across the entire offseason to help you learn from what the coaches who are able to reach the top are doing to give their team that winning edge. Be sure to go to coachingcoordinator.com to sign up for our weekly tip sheet that highlights the best ideas shared on the podcast.